Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. I'm going to start during the season of Lent. I'm going to start a, a new series. Uh, these these first five Sundays of the season of Lent, I'll be preaching through the Book of John, chapters 14 and 15. And this is kind of uh, I just did a sermon series that made me really uncomfortable because I was asking hard questions, and it's it's uncomfortable as a preacher to get in the pulpit and not have the answers. And so I was really uncomfortable. This is a sermon series that if I was sitting in the, in the congregation, I would enjoy listening to. And so, sorry, you have to deal with what the preacher likes for, for five weeks. And so I'm going to be preaching just slow, kind of verse by verse, thought by thought through this, uh, these couple of chapters. During my last sermon series, I actually already started in John 14 a little bit. I did some John 14, 1 through 6-ish, 1 through 7. And then during our Ash Wednesday service, I actually used verses 8 through 14. So today I'm in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. And I, it will be important as we go through this, this series to always be reminded of the, the context. This is on the night of Passover. This is like one of the big feasts of the year for the Jewish people. So Jesus and his disciples had borrowed a room. They had borrowed this, it's called an upper room. It's, a, it's just like a guest quarters in a house. They had this borrowed space that they had gone to for this special meal. And it's a special meal. It's like a big deal meal. It's something that people look forward to all year, kind of like what we look forward to Thanksgiving. It's a prescribed menu. So everybody knows every year what you're going to be having for, for Passover. You're going to be having lamb for Passover. And so th- that's a special meal. That's a special, a special meat. And so it's a lot for us. It's a lot like Thanksgiving. Before the meal happened, you, you might remember in John chapter thir- 13, we read about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. So they had all been seated around these low tables. It would have been like low tables, no, no chairs, but maybe some cushions. And they would have been seated low. And everybody's feet, because they walked around in, in sandals or barefoot, their feet would have had the dust and muck of the city. And it's, you know, there's the animals and dust and muck. And we don't need to say a lot more about being reclined next to somebody who has been walking around in that in bare feet and then sitting next to their bare feet, all right? Like, you would not bring your boots that you clean out your, your dog kennel with or your chicken coop with to Thanksgiving dinner, would you? You would not wear those. And, and so that was kind of... So Jesus, before the meal even began, Jesus makes everybody comfortable by, by uh, washing their feet, by, by kind of just doing that thing that needed to happen in order for everybody to be able to really enjoy the meal, to be able to relax. And then they have this big meal, this meal that they've been looking forward to. And during the course of the meal, John doesn't really record exactly how the meal happens, but he talks about how Jesus talked. Now, we get this sense, John doesn't really explain exactly the situation. We get a sense that Jesus is like talking to the whole crowd, but I don't think that's really what's happening. I think John records his conversation with Jesus. Because during the meal, he, Jesus says, uh, somebody's going to betray me. And I just, I think that that would have been too awkward in the, in the whole group. I think, and it's, it's several people, right? It's at least the 12 plus Jesus. And I would guess there were some others. 
there were some other disciples, some other folks around. The, the Gospels record that there were women uh, with Jesus and his disciples all the time uh, wandering around. And so I would guess that it was a larger group than just even those 13, Jesus and his 12. And so there's probably like little pods of conversation. I think John is giving us like his, his conversation, especially during the meal. As people are eating, you know, you've been at a table with six people and it breaks up into two groups of three or three groups of two or, you know, one group of five and me that doesn't have anything to say at a meal. I'm just eating as fast as I can because I'm starving, you know. And so it's, it's very plausible that, that these are just sort of small conversations. And I have this picture that through the course of the meal, this conversation is happening there's quite a bit going on. Jesus' words, the words that John really remembers Jesus saying, he records in his gospel because it, he, it talks about in, in John 13, like what Jesus said specifically to John. And then the meal, the meal they get to the end of the meal and, and as they get to the end of the meal, you've had this experience at Thanksgiving when it's a big crowd and, and there's like some conversations happening around. You've, you've broken up for conversation while the meal has, has been going on and then the pie comes out and the coffee gets poured. And, it, and if you're like me, like that is, that is one of, that's the reason that I celebrate Thanksgiving is that when the pie comes out and the coffee's poured and we're around the table with the family and real conversation begins and you, you really begin to, to connect with one another. Think about how Jesus made sure that everybody was comfortable before the meal started. He washed their feet so that they would be able to, to relax, to kind of settle in, to, to make themselves able to, to engage. And I have this, this idea that as, as Jesus gets to the end of the meal and as they are, they're kind of, the food is kicking in, Jesus starts talking and Jesus, Jesus starts to gather the attention of the people in the room. You know, he, everybody wanted to be the person that was in conversation with Jesus, right? Everybody around the table, they, Jesus is the most important one there. They all wanted to hear what he was saying. And, and maybe, maybe what happens is Jesus begins to talk and the disciples, all of these little groups that were in conversation, you know, Matthias says to Bartholomew, Jesus is talking, just quiet down. I want to hear what. And in John chapter 14, begins as, as Jesus, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus kind of opens a can of worms here, right? Uh, as a leader, one thing I have learned is never borrow trouble. Never suggest that, your heart, that the hearts of the room might be troubled unless you absolutely know that every heart in the room is troubled. Like don't, don't go looking for, for trouble to, to stir up. Enough trouble stirs up on its own. Leaders, good leaders, don't go looking to borrow trouble. And, and so when, when a good leader like Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, 
he knows that there are hearts troubled in this room. He knows that these people are, are kind of feeling a little nervous about all of the... This Passover seems different. This time in Jerusalem seems different from the times that Jesus had been in Jerusalem before. And so Jesus says, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he kind of gives them reason for, for their hearts to be troubled because while he has been telling them all along during his ministry that he's not going to stay with them, he begins to remind them, I'm going to go away. I am going away from you. And suddenly the time frame has shrunk. It was, it was like way out there in the future. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, like you're not going to live forever. Of course you're going to die at some point, but you'll be an old man and you'll have, have been the king that we expected you to be. And, you know, but Jesus, Jesus is very clearly t telling them, the time is short. Time is short. I'm, I'm about to go away, guys. I'm not going to be here. And I think about how the disciples like couldn't have heard it because Jesus so very clearly has taught, I am going away. Um, the disciples, you know, men just sometimes have a hard time hearing the direct communication that's coming at us. Like, <sighs> and so in this moment, the, the disciples, they realize what, what Jesus is saying. The time, the time is coming. The time is short. And, and what Jesus gives us then for these next few chapters are, are a mix. Jesus encourages and he challenges. Jesus builds the disciples up. Jesus issues decrees. Jesus tells the disciples they can do it. He tells them it's going to be real hard. And so the passage we're looking at today is a balance of challenge and comfort. We're going to begin in, in John chapter 14, verse 15. And I'd invite you as I read this morning to kind of put yourself there at the table. You've had a good meal. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep just, just yet. Uh, you've had a good meal. You've, got, you've reached that point in the day when you're ready to connect. You're ready to have the really good conversation you've been anticipating. And your master, the one you've been looking up to, has these words to say. From John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you will know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones 
who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So this passage is a passage of, of comfort and challenge. Let me begin with the comfort that Jesus offers. The comfort that Jesus offers comes from kind of the middle of the passage. The, the, big, the big key comfort words are in verse 18 where Jesus says, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I, I think Jesus is talking about pretty soon. Like he's going to the cross and he's going to die, but pretty soon he's coming back. It's not like he's going to his death and, and going to be gone forever. He is coming back. I think this is a prediction of Jesus' resurrection here that, that we see. But as Jesus is, is talking about going away, not being physically present, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not going to abandon you. How can he not abandon you if he's going away? Well, he says, I'm going to send you another advocate. I'm going to send you another advocate. And this is an, an kind of a key identifier of the Holy Spirit. He says, it, another advocate who is the Holy Spirit. This is a key identifier of the Holy Spirit for John. In, in his gospel, it's the only place that we find this Greek word used for the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is paraclete. Uh, and so you've received your Greek word for the day. You're welcome. The Greek word is paraclete. It's used five times in the gospel of John. This is the first one. And when Jesus says he, he is providing the paraclete, the, the word, the really good English translation of the Greek word paraclete is advocate. It's a really good translation of it. And, and so I, I like the notion personally of having an advocate. I like the advocate idea. The advocate idea, is a, it's a cool idea. It's, a, it's an interesting thing that we could have an advocate. And I'll tell you, part of the reason I think of of having an advocate as a good thing is because I'm the son of a lawyer. Uh, I, have a, I have a dad who has been a good advocate for a lot of people over a lot of years. Um, my, my growing up was uh, a lot of following my dad around into courthouses. Um, I've been in lots of courthouses in the state of Idaho and uh, into lots of courtrooms and lots of meeting rooms and back, back parts of courthouses where clients and lawyers can meet together in, in private. And, and when I got old enough, I, I became my dad's chauffeur on occasion so he could prepare while, while we were headed to a courthouse somewhere. I remember all, all my growing up is just this, this litany of experiences of adults in boring rooms speaking in monotone voices about boring things. Like that's been, that was really my my experience. But my dad had this great reputation as a, as a good advocate. Good, he was good at what he did. He was good at his job. He is good at his job. And, and he's an advocate that people want on his side when they face trouble. So when I got into high school, occasionally I would hear about my dad advocating for classmates of mine. Now, my dad would never tell me, would never talk to me about any of, of people that I might know that, that he was advocating for. But through, you know, high school gossip, you would hear, you know, so-and-so got busted, but it's okay because they went to see your dad. And, uh, and as somebody who was never very popular with people who were getting busted for things, I always kind of hoped dad would do a good job for them. Like, that seemed like the possibility of less getting shoved in lockers for me if my dad could do a good job for those people. I think people, people would relax a little bit with my dad as, as their advocate. People kind of 
a good advocate takes the pressure off the person who's being advocated for, right? Uh, a good advocate will ease the stress of someone who, who is receiving their help. But a good advocate takes on a lot of pressure then. So over, over the course of my growing up, I remember my dad just constantly reading. We would, go, we would go skiing. He would take a couple of runs off skiing to read in the, in the lodge there. And, you know, like a normal person would read a good novel. Uh, he would read a legal journal uh, because he was honing his craft. I remember my dad studying for, for trials. Uh, he, he always said a trial is just like a test in school. You study all you can, and you never know if you're going to study right. And so he, he would spend a lot, of time, a lot of time studying. And I witnessed my dad dealing with the stress of that. He, he would carry the, the weight of, of being an advocate for somebody else, that somebody else's future kind of depended on, on him. And so a good advocate really unburdens those that they are advocating for. It's interesting, though, you, you probably noticed when Jesus talks about the, the advocate, he says another advocate, right? I'm going to send you another advocate. And the, the obvious implication, the obvious, the obvious application or understanding of another advocate is that, well, we have an advocate already. And John tells us who that advocate is in, in the book of 1 John, in, in his letter. In John chap, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So we have this advocate. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. Like when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in in the upper room. Jesus was right there with them. He was promising that he'd go away and that another advocate would come and be with them. So Jesus, what the disciples don't realize in the upper room moment is that Jesus is headed to the cross in order to pay the penalty, any penalty of sin that is, is due the disciples and us. What the, what the disciples don't know as they're listening to Jesus say this is that he is headed to, to do what is necessary for, for all of humanity to be right with God. He, he is going to the cross to, to save us, to conquer sin and death, to overcome the, the penalty that human sin has accrued against God. And then Jesus, when, when he goes away again, when he, when he ascends to the Father, he's going to be our advocate. Paul, or John tells us in John chapter, chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, Jesus is our advocate standing right there next to the Father. The, the, um, Jesus is right there next to the Father advocating on our behalf. He's bending God's ear saying, this one should be reconciled to you because I've paid the price. This one should belong to you, God the Father, because, because he, he or she believes in me. And so this is an amazing, I love this picture of kind of dual advocacy. As good an advocate as my dad is, he never paid fines for other people, right? 
My dad has not once spent a day in jail for, for a client. Uh, a, Jesus is, is a much better advocate. <laughs> Jesus has paid the price for us, and, and Jesus is right there next to the, to the Father, granting access to the Father's presence, saying this, Jesus is staying to his Father. This one gets to come and be to be one with you, to be united with you, to be in your presence because this one believes in me. But we have another advocate, the one who is with us right now. John records Jesus telling us the Spirit is leading us into all truth. This advocate that is with us is speaking the truth that is found only in Jesus. But it is preparing us, the Spirit is preparing us to be in God's presence. Because as sinful, broken human beings, we don't belong in the presence of God. The Spirit comes and works in our hearts and prepares us to be in the presence of God. And so we have, we have an advocate right there with God, bending God's ear, saying, this one belongs to us. Bring this one in. And we have an advocate with us preparing us for that day. So that when we walk from, from life into eternity, we're ready. We're ready. The Spirit can work in us so that the presence of God is heaven for us. That we are ready to be in, in the holiness of God. We're ready to experience God's character fully because the Spirit has been at work in us. That's what this other advocate is doing. It is shaping us and forming us and molding us so that we could, be, we could be ready to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And this is, <clears throat> this is inspiring and, and comforting in the context of Jesus speaking directly to his disciples. It's comforting and and. And it feels good to us, right? It's, this is good news for Christians. But Jesus says, this is good news for you. The people around you, they're just not going to get it. In fact, in, in verse 17, Jesus' words are, the world cannot receive him, talking about the, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. And so while we may take comfort from the words of Jesus to his disciples here, these are words that are kind of uncomfortable for people who aren't Jesus' followers. They're words that kind of make Jesus' followers seem a little bit strange. Because we're inviting the Spirit into our lives. Like Jesus' words, he's with you and he will be in you. We're inviting the Spirit into us. The, the Apostle Paul talks about how this message, it's foolishness to the world around. It's foolishness. So many in, people in our world are on quests for meaning, right? We're looking for meaning in, in all kinds of things, in the next great experience or adventure. They're, they're looking for the romance that will sweep them off their feet and finally fulfill their soul. They're on a quest for self-improvement. If you just get fit enough, uh, we would be happy. Or if we could just get the right job, we'd be satisfied. If we just get enough money, we'd be secure. And some people are looking for, 
for a spiritual solution. But the spiritual solution that many people in our world are looking for looks like a well-balanced life that includes yoga on Tuesday mornings. And, and for the world, that's like a good, good, spiritual, good spiritual balance, right? As Christians, we can fall into the exact same traps, so. though. We can believe that if we just found the romance that God has planned for us, well, then we'll be complete. If we just know the job that God wants for us, man, we would be complete. And while we laugh about yoga on Tuesday mornings, we make our spiritual experience a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. As Christians, we fall into the exact same temptations. When, when we know and we're told that only the advocate that Jesus has offered can bring about peace in our lives and hope that we're, we're looking for. And this really brings us from the comfort that Jesus has given us to the challenge that he gives us. There, there's comfort in Jesus offering to come and be with us by the power of the Spirit, this, this advocate that is going to walk with us and prepare us. You know, He's going to give us, give us the right attitude to be in the presence of the Father. Jesus won't abandon us. But the challenge comes in a couple of conditional statements that Jesus makes in the, in the passage. In, in verse 15, we read, If you love me, obey my commandments. And then Jesus, at the, at the end of the passage, in verse 21, the passage that I read, he says, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. As we continue through these next couple of chapters, we're going to discover that Jesus offers new command. He, he has a new command for, for his disciples. Uh, but what we have come through, if we were reading John from, from cover to cover, we would be taken back uh, immediately to, to John 13, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And yes, Jesus did this incredible service for his, di his disciples, but he does it as an example. And he tells them in John 13, verses 14 and 15, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This command is such a departure from what the disciples were expecting from their leader. Uh, the, the model of leadership, a strong leader in, in Jesus' day, did not become the lowliest of servants because the, the job of washing feet was the lowliest of servants in the house. Jesus says, as the person of greatest authority in this room, as the person of greatest authority here, uh, you, I, I am going to become servant of all. And I'm giving you an example. If you want to become a great authority, you must become a servant. Jesus' commands are backward throughout his teaching, backward of what the world expects, backward of what we would expect from someone who started a movement. Jesus doesn't command people to conquer and make demands of others. Jesus says, serve and love. Turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Jesus teaches that obedience Will, will result, though, in the Holy Spirit's presence. In verse uh, 15, if you love me and obey uh, my commands, then I, and then verse 16, um, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Our obedience, our, our listening to Jesus, our following Jesus, results in the Spirit coming into our lives. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit, in this incredible like synergy, gives us the ability to be obedient and teaches us what is obedience to Christ. And as we're obedient, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches us what is obedience. It gives us the strength to be obedient. And then because of our obedience, we receive the Spirit of Christ. And it becomes this, this cycle, this kind of perpetuating work of God in, in our hearts to help us understand what is, what is the truth to believe in the truth and obey the truth and to receive more of the Spirit, to understand the truth all, all the better. And the path that Jesus has marked out for his disciples isn't, isn't probably the one that they would have plotted out for themselves. Um, it's not probably the way that the greatest in his kingdom is the servant of all. We need to come to him like children uh, because that is, that's greatness in his kingdom. Our nature as, as human people is to often take ourselves in, in directions where we seek what is not his will for us. And that's why the followers of Jesus need the, the work of the advocate. We need the work of the Spirit moving in us, walks alongside us, reminds us the direction that we ought to be going. We need someone who's not just by us, right? Like a good advocate, they'll prepare you for what's to come. We, as humans, we need more than just somebody that's by us. We need, we need someone to move inside. Jesus offers us the Spirit to move inside and to shape us from within to prepare us for what's ahead. So this, teaches, this passage teaches us to obey and to be, to be filled. Obedience is, is this command that we're given, uh, while the filling of the Spirit is, is the promise that we, we receive here. The Christian life recognizes that we need both. We, we can't do one without the other. It's this, this weird, weird thing where, where does one start and the other begin? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Where does obedience, where does obedience end and being filled with the Spirit to be more obedient? I, that's a that's a map that I can't I can't draw very good lines on. Um, the the life that we are invited into is is this life of of obedience, empowered by the Spirit, and so the Spirit gives us the the strength to be obedient. It's interesting to me that the, these words are spoken to the followers of Jesus before his departure. Sometimes as the followers of Jesus, it can seem like Jesus has been gone for long enough now and he can go ahead and come back. It seems like we need a little bit more word from Jesus. And, uh, and it'd be nice to hear from Jesus. He's promised to not abandon us. He's given us the advocate. We're not orphans. We're not alone. 
And he's invited us into, into this life. The step of obedience, receiving the Spirit, to be able to understand what is obedience, to keep stepping forward. I think this is a way we don't always think about the Christian life. I think very often we think about the Christian life in terms of the list of rules that we need to follow in order to be acceptable to God. The Gospels really don't paint that picture. <laughs> the Gospels really paint a picture of us living in, in obedience to Christ because we love Christ, because he has shaped us to, be, to love him, to be more loving. And, and so I, I don't know, maybe that's kind of a different way that you've experienced than you have understood Christianity in the past. Maybe Christianity for you has been the rules that you've had to check off. Jesus, Jesus really, he wants, he wants us to, to come to him. Like, obedience is just coming to, to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and then receiving his spirit to, to grow in our understanding of what the next obedience step is. The, the Christian life is, is just this walk of saying, Jesus, show me, show me. Show me what is the next obedient step. We're going to end our service today by baptizing a few people. And uh, these are people who have said, yes, I'm ready to take a step of obedience. I'm ready, I'm ready to experience this. And as they take this step of obedience, we're going we're gonna to go through a, a little ceremony and we'll... we'll dunk them in some water, and we'll clap like wild when they come out of the water, okay? Uh, we're going to go through this experience. After they come out of the water, someone's going to pray for, for each of these people. And as we pray for these people, we're going to pray that they would receive the Spirit. Uh, I, I've seen it. I, every time the New Testament church in the book of Acts baptizes someone, they lay hands on them and pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do that. We're going to uh, pray that they would receive the, the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that they're taking a step of obedience, and then they, they need the advocate to show them the next step of obedience. Today, maybe you're not ready to be baptized, but maybe you're ready to take a step of obedience. You're ready to say, I want to I follow, I want to trust. And if that's you, I just invite you to pray with me. The Lord would show you what obedience looks like today. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you and we thank you. Jesus is so, uh, so kind and so frustrating. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this promise that he wouldn't abandon us. Lord, forgive us when, when we're tempted to say, you've abandoned us. Sometimes, God, we feel like it's been a long time. And we just wish, we just wish we would see Jesus again. But Lord, we trust you and we trust Jesus. We trust the words of Jesus that remind us that he has sent us this other advocate. And God, we thank you for the experiences we've had of the advocate working in us. 
speaking to us, guiding us into all truth. Lord, I pray that you would be with, with us today. For those who want to experience this life who have not before, I pray that you would just give them the simple faith to, to say, I want to obey you, God. Help me understand what it is to obey you. I pray that you would move into hearts and lives by the power of your spirit and teach people what is obedience. And Lord, I pray that uh, each of us would be listening and attentive to the Spirit's voice. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to know today what it is to be obedient to you so that today we can receive more of your Spirit and today we can grow in our understanding of what the next step of obedience is. We trust you, Lord. It's good to be your followers. It's good that you have not abandoned us. Help us, Lord, to respond in love to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.